You're listening to Look Who's Talking. I'm Brad Hillegas. I am thrilled to have today's guest on the podcast. She's done outstanding work with Sports Illustrated and ESPN. She's a multi-Emmy winning journalist, an author, and now a professor at USC. As she continues to work with ESPN, she's known far and wide in the world of sports, and I feel comfortable saying, if you're listening to this podcast, she's probably been on your TV at some point in time. Shelly Smith. Shelly, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, thanks, Brad. That's really nice of you. I was I was really excited when you said you'd be available to do another interview. Um, you're always gracious, and you have such great stories to tell, but I'm sure that comes from just being a tori- storyteller by trade. How did you decide that sports journalism was the path for you? Well, I have to tell you, the first time we talked, though, I think I was on morphine. So it probably didn't make a whole lot of sense. I just had my knee replaced. And today I'm dog-sitting. So, you know, it's always something different. Um, and I guess that's why I wanted to stay in sports journalism for all these years, because every day is different. Every day is something exciting. and Well, not always exciting, but just different. You know, there's, like, I spent the morning uh, working on my class stuff, and then uh, a couple of features I'm on, and then I took a nap. So... Every day is different, and it is exciting, and it's fun, and I, I love what I do, and I'm just naturally curious, and I think that's why I've stayed in this for so long, is that I want to know why, 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 why did that happen, why did that happen, why did that, I know, so let's just put it that way. Well, curiosity usually brings about great ideas or an interest in, <laughs> in some great stuff, and um, if you don't mind, if, if you have the liberty to say, what kind of things are you working on right now? I'm not going to tell you because you'll steal them. I'm not going to tell you anything. I'm, I'm working on um, things that will air in the next few months. So let's just put it that way. Uh, I don't ever give up what I'm working on. I don't even. I'm supposed to go to a certain school football practice in the next few weeks, and I, I don't even want to go during practice time because I don't want the other reporters to get an idea of what I'm up to. So, you know, I'm just working on things that have that come up. Uh, of course, the NBA Finals and the playoffs will be heating up, and I'll be working on those probably as well. Um, gosh, that gives me two great questions. One, have you always worked so <laughs> covertly? Has it always been your, your job or your uh, modus operandi to kind of be where other reporters aren't? Has that been a goal, yeah. or is that just how, absolutely. how you... Absolutely. Mm-hmm. No, I, I just, uh, if you notice, I never, I rarely ask questions in press conferences because I don't want other reporters to know what angle I'm taking. Because I usually, I'm very good about this, doing this, and I take a lot of pride in this and finding things out that other people don't know. And I'll give you some examples from the past. Like uh, a few years ago, the Warriors lost the first round of, first, first game of the Western Conference Final. And I was in the locker room, and we are told to go after things that nobody else can get except for us because we are there. So I see Steph Curry uh, sitting by himself reading a book with a towel over his head. And I know him enough that I can, you know, kind of sidle up to him on the side and kind of, you know, hey, what's going on? What are you reading? And he goes, my fan mail. And I said, why are you reading your fan mail? And he goes, because it makes me happy. <laughs> I just one of my favorite moments from all of my reporting, and that was you know twenty seconds, and it was just him being honest with me and and me having that kind of relationship with him that I could be able to get the truth out of him, and so that's what I try to do is try to get things that nobody else knows, and I got a couple of stories right now that nobody else knows. I'm not going to tell you, so don't even try to beat it out of me, <laughs> but. Um, 
you know, that's just what, you know, you hang on to what little things you can grab in this business. And that's not such a little thing, but there are things that I do really, really well, which is slink around. And that's one of the problems with going into TV is that you can't slink around and hide from people like you could when you were in print. Because people know now know who you are and you've got all these cameras following you. And um, it, it's much more difficult. So I take a lot of pride in that. Um, thinking about being where other reporters aren't, that reminds me of uh, the story you told me when you uh, got on the plane after the Olympics. I think this was back when you were at Sports Illustrated, the first big break where you got... Before you, before you were born, yes, yeah. 1988. <laughs> right. This is still stuff of legend, though. You were where the other reporters oh, aren't, and you got you got the story. Yeah, yeah, no, I got called, and, and uh, it was from being prepared. I was prepared to, to do anything that had to do with drug control, and I got a call that Ben Johnson had tested positive for steroids, and I called my people at, this is before cell phones and pagers and all that kind of stuff, so I called my guys at drug control, and they said he's on his way to the airport, so I ran to the airport, and I jumped on an airplane with him, and flew from Seoul to New York and got the first interview with him, uh, you know, since he had tested positive and had been stripped, from the, with the gold, stripped of the gold medal. And it was probably the most exciting moment of my life, and I haven't topped it yet. I keep trying, but I haven't. I'm working on it, though, so maybe this week. No, I'm kidding. But um, it was it was uh, an incredible moment. Um. Or actually... 14 hours in the air. That's, uh, that's incredible. I love that story that you were just, you were also willing to be there. You, you had the information and then you made the commitment to be there, um, to be where the other journalists aren't. Um, but another thing, well, I was prepared. I was prepared. Um, how, how do you, how do you be prepared and on top of things where in a 24 seven media cycle, when athletes can go on Twitter and say one thing, that is contradictory or in line with a story that you might be working on? And do you try to respond to everything that you hear when social media can kind of feed or fuel something that you might be working on? No, 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 no. In fact, I try to stay off. I mean, I, I read social media. I don't post a lot. I'll do a lot of things for charity or, you know, um, somebody else's story or congratulate someone or something like that. But I really try to stay away from, Social media, first of all, you don't know exactly what where the information is coming from. You don't know if it's true, if it's not true. Um, and you just, you have to go out and get it yourself. I'll use it as tips. You know, somebody says, oh, you know, Odell Beckham just signed with the New York Jets or whatever. You know, I'll, I'll take that and run with it and, and not run with it, but make calls and try to confirm it. Uh, and we do that a lot. But, um. I, uh, to be prepared, you have to be put in a position to be prepared, and that's what Sports Illustrated did so well for me that year in Korea, was they put me in charge of finding out everything I could about drug control, not knowing that the biggest story of the Olympics would have, would have been someone being stripped of, their, of his gold medal because of uh, testing positive for steroids. And we were just in the right position at the right time. And I, and I, I credit the people who were around me because... Sports Illustrated just had great people, still has great people on their staff, and they just know what to do, and they know how to put you in a position to succeed, and it was, yeah, truly one of the greatest moments of my career. Just being prepared, and I tell my students now, I said, if you're not prepared, I mean, I, I just graded a 
an interview of a student who interviewed um, someone but never didn't do enough homework on him to find out that he had been fired for racial um, epithets, you know, not epithets, but, you know, racist comments. Hmm. And she, did, she didn't know that. And I said, okay, that's a big mistake on your part because it's not that hard to find out, you know. Background, background, background. Internet makes it so much easier than when I was first coming up when we had to have the library faxes articles, newspaper articles on so-and-so. And there's no excuse now for not being prepared. Right. Uh, you can tell when people aren't prepared. They, it, the credibility evaporates pretty quickly. Yeah, it does. Which, speaking of which, you are in the top tier of, of credibility in our business. And oh, thank you. <laughs> well, as a young broadcaster, I'm killing myself to get credibility <laughs> right now. And when I see, you know, well, you're you're on TV and you're doing your job, right? I it, did too. I did too. I I spent every waking moment preparing to not ask something stupid, and I would rather ask nothing than ask something stupid or uninformed. And that takes a lot of um, strength to be able to do that. And I just decided I was going to be really good at this, and I went after it. And um, I think so far I'm doing okay. I don't know. I am still here. I'm still working. That's a good sign. That is a good sign. Uh, in fact, I think in, in one of our previous conversations, you said that one of the things that's being appreciated more as you've seen it, is experience in the industry, and it's being yeah. rewarded more. It, to me, and this is someone who's obviously hasn't been in this business but as, as long, but I would imagine credibility and experience can go hand in hand, but from the way you described it, that's not necessarily true. Is that fair, or, or what did you mean when you said that experience is being rewarded now? I think experience is being rewarded in the way that it hasn't in the past. And I do think that's credibility, but it's also knowing how to go cover something. They can call me right now and there could be a plane crash right in front of my apartment. And I would know what to do. I would know who to call from the police. I would know who to call from the EMTs. I would know if there was an athlete involved, I would know who to call. You know, it's just a matter of knowing what to do, where to go when something breaks. And then when you're put on a big story, um, that might take a little bit longer, um, but you know what to do and where to go and you don't make stupid, you don't ask stupid questions, you don't make stupid assumptions and you don't, don't assume anything. For one thing, look everything up. That's what the internet is so great about um, to have, is that you can look everything up. We had a, um, I don't want to say this, there was a person at one point who didn't know who John Wooden was and I said, Oh, God, don't ever admit to not knowing what you don't know, because you can always look it up so quickly. You know, who is John Wooden, which most of us know, but, you know, some of us young people don't know. Some of you young people don't know. But look it up. Don't don't say, I don't know who, who is that. You know, don't ever say that. Who is that? What is that? Look it up, and then come back with an answer. Because you have a computer right there. You can do it quickly. I can't fathom anyone in Southern California not knowing who John Wooden was. <laughs> well, you never know. <laughs> I, I guess that's true. But uh, yeah. with with the internet and, and new emerging media trends, we talking about credibility. It's we're, I'm seeing more and more media where it's someone with an iPhone or, or a phone three rows up off the court 
records an interaction and that is as credible as a uh, hundred, 200, 300 word story that comes out on another news site. How does, how, well, do, how does that type yeah, of media uh, interact with what you're trying to do? Like Russell Westbrook recently, you know, and you know, film doesn't lie. That's one thing. And we don't know everything surrounding that, but somebody had a, a camera on him and the person who was taunting him and, it's really hard to dispute that. And so you have to be very, very careful, first of all, if you're a reporter and if you're an athlete out there. But, um, yeah, it really changes things because the athlete has a lot more control over what is put out there, which is sometimes good and sometimes bad. And uh, I don't know. I like to think that we as reporters are trained um, to put out the good stuff and the bad stuff with fair and impartiality. And I always said if you're fair, honest, I can't remember my other words, fair, honest, accurate, and professional, then it doesn't matter what anybody else says about what you do. Fair, honest, accurate, professional. I need to remember that. Um, and it's a hard, it's hard to dispute video, but if you can come back against that video and say, yeah, but before... This guy taunted Russell Westbrook. These guys did this because you saw it and you were there. And, and there's no disputing that. And if you're a respected reporter, people are going to believe you and will put it into consideration with that video that's out there. But it, it's really, really hard to do now because you don't have a, a, your phone or your camera on everything, you know. So you have to almost be everywhere to be able to dispute a story or get a good story or, um, yeah, I guess I'll get a dispute a story or get a good story. You, know, you, have, to, you have to just work harder than you've ever had to work before. Is that, uh, is that also true for the camera crew? Are they constantly recording or looking for something alongside you that they, they can turn be. in? <laughs> <laughs> they better be. Uh, I'd like to give them more credit Many of the camera guys are very, very good and are honestly always looking for news elements, but that's not their job. They're, they're supposed to shoot what you tell them to shoot, and that's our job. That's why we're there. But uh, a lot of them are, are good video journalists as well, and they should be shooting on everything. But it doesn't always happen that way. <laughs> I can't honestly say that. One thing you mentioned uh, just a moment ago was that athletes are kind of or they have an opportunity to be in control of, of content that comes out about them. Um, mm -hmm. As the flow of communication is, has evolved and they have that platform, they have that kind of agency about the information. Do athletes try to circumvent traditional medium for reporting or reporters themselves? Or, or do athletes reach out to you knowing that they kind of have a little bit of leverage in the news cycle? Hmm. I, I think that, The smart ones know that they can kind of dictate things themselves. But the smarter ones know, and this might be a little bit gratuitous to myself, but that they can trust us and that people trust us as reporters in the media. And if they just come out and say something like on Players' Tribune, which is just basically a player saying whatever they want, and it gets printed, but 
there's no real credibility to it except for, you know, the player saying, oh, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. Um, but if a reporter reports that he didn't do it and has witnesses and sources saying he didn't do it, then that's a lot more credible than a player just saying, I didn't do it. I mean, naturally, you're going to think, well, of course he's going to say that. You know, of course he's going to say that. So, but a reporter, I'd like to think, still has the credibility and the respect from people that people will believe what a reporter says because we do our homework, we do our preparation, we do our due diligence, we get sources, we have more than one source, we have more than just the player saying he didn't do it, we have uh, collaborating witnesses, we have, you know, it's almost like putting together a court case, but um, I still think the reporter has more credibility and respect in, out there in the world. But a player's word is still a player's word, but all the time I see somebody say something, I'm like, mm, yeah, I don't know. Of course he's going to say that. But I don't know that that's true. I don't know that that, I think it's changing. I think that people, as they get on social media and they all, everyone becomes an expert on everything and you read things and you see things and you just go, oh, geez, you know, is that true? Is that not true? And that drives me nuts, actually. I, I can imagine. I'm, people yeah. are trying to hold up what one reporter says against another or what the athlete themselves mm-hmm. might say. Yeah, it is true, and, and he, that's why you have reporters screaming at each other. I don't. I don't offer opinions on issues because I'm a reporter. I'm not a analyst, and I'm not a commentator, and that's why you don't see me screaming at Stephen A. or or Skip Bayless or anything like that because I just that's not what I do. I report facts, and I take a lot of pride in that, and I take a lot of. I put a lot of effort into it to make sure what I get is right and correct and professional and just and fair and accurate and those things. And then, then let the chips fall where they may. But I do my best to get the right stuff on the air. So then do you and, and your peers regard things like the Players' Tribune or like uh, what's LeBron James's video platform uh, uninterrupted? Do you view that in a different sphere of kind of news and reporting or is that just more like entertainment or do you consider that a part of the sports reporting world that you exist in no i don't and i don't know what my peers think and i'm my bosses may hate this but i just think it's it's a it's a player and i love lebron and it's nothing against him and it's nothing against players tribune or anything to do some great work it's just what one person or two or three or four would they all think without any kind of formal vetting or um, discussion as to what it is they're putting out there. And I maybe they do discuss it. I don't know, but I, I, I don't watch those elements. I don't read Players' Tribune unless it's something startling like uh, the young woman who, well, I don't know if I can play Tribune or not. Who killed herself? Jumped. Actually, I think it was one of our reporters who did it, Kate Fagan, who wrote about the girl who jumped off the parking structure. Yeah. Um, you know, but those kinds of things I, I will read, and, and startling things in Players Tribune, like that might open my eyes to things like mental illness or um, things like that. But 
you know, and I, I'm sure it'd be great fun to sit around with LeBron and his buddies and talk shop, but um, that's not reporting. That's just sitting around talking shop, and I'm, I'm sure it's a fascinating and probably a fun entity, but it's just not what I do. I'm a reporter, and I will always be a reporter. And that means getting someone's opinion on something and then getting the opposite opinion on it and then getting, you know, corroborating or getting dissenting. You know, it's just, it's a, it's a process that you go through that you learn. I'm sure you've learned in journalism school that you have to go through in order to make a story believable, credible, respected, and true. Because you can't just put out what one side says. And you can't, you can't do that. Right. You you mentioned players who choose to be smart or smarter. Um, who are some of those players that you would put in the category of, of knowing how the media works and, and who have a good relationship or who respond well with the media? Who are the kind of people that know how to have those conversations in your mind? Well, I do think, you know, LeBron is one of them. I think he's a very smart um, person, and he's good with the media. He knows which reporters uh, are good and which reporters are not, which reporters to believe, which reporters to not believe. And he also knows how the system works, so that's why he's doing this, you know, barbershop thing. I think it was called undefeated. Uh, there's so many uncorroborated and corrupted. Yeah. I don't know. Right. Uh, He's just—he's very smart, and the people around him are very smart. So there was a need for it, I guess. And he's very smart. I think Magic Johnson is extremely smart about media and who to listen to and who not to listen to. I think Shaq is incredibly smart. Uh, now I'm naming off NBA players. Um, <laughs> NFL player. I think Peyton Manning is probably one of the best. Manipulating media. Mm-hmm. He's hilarious. Um, and I think there are some who don't really know or don't care um, about what's going on. And there's no reason why they should care about what's going on unless they really want to tap into it. I, for example, I, I think Kawhi Leonard is a really great individual, but I don't think he cares about what's going on in the media or what we're doing or what he's doing as far as media goes. And, and that's his prerogative, and it makes him smart but not caring. So, you know, who am I to say? Who, how do we know who these people are? really anyway because you know you spend five or ten minutes with them every day if you're lucky and you don't know who they are you don't spend hours with their family or their kids and um you do if you're lucky but that doesn't happen very often anymore uh but we don't really know who they are all we know is how what their relationship is like with us and that's all we can really comment on so i I try not to comment on players and their personalities because I just I don't know them they don't know me it'd be like somebody coming into my house and saying you know why is your fireplace still a mess a year after it was torn up and that's honest honest to god truth <laughs> 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 on Friday but I don't know that I've been in a battle with my landlord and the contractors and everybody else but I'm like you know you don't know you don't know you just don't know the ins and outs of everyone nor should you nor would you want to, probably. But um, we get as close as we can, and then we try to peel back the layers if we can. If not, we just write whatever they put out there. 
I know you have uh, a, a lot of clout uh, in the circles you're in, and particularly in the NBA. And to your point, there there's an athlete in Southern California, Kevin Durant, who at times, I, I, I don't think hostile or even antagonistic is the right word, but he seems to be critical of the media in that very sense, saying, I'm here to play basketball. And quite famously, in a, in a pretty recent interview post-game, said to a reporter who asked him a question that seemed superfluous, said, why do I need to talk to you? You don't decide how I play basketball. I don't need to explain anything. But he has a history of, of being one of those guys that, I don't, it does, I, maybe you can tell me, I don't think he's got a great relationship with the media, but he also doesn't seem like he needs to have a great relationship with the media. I think he's just in a bad mood. <laughs> <laughs> I really think... He, you know, in terms of I've dealt with him, I walked with him through the destruction, tornado destruction in Oklahoma and saw him talk to people with heartfelt sympathy and and listen to everyone and listen to everyone who came up, took pictures. And, you know, just don't do that very often. And I, I've, I, I, after I was diagnosed with cancer, I, you know, I went up to him and gave me a hug and I said, you know, I know you, you know, You've had this in your family, and he's like, yeah, and he wanted to give me a bracelet, and I said, no, you keep it, because you might need to give it to someone else. I mean, he's just not that way. I just think he's in a bad mood. I really do, and I would like to go up to him. I haven't seen him in a couple of months. Actually, I don't think that's in a couple of months, and I would just like to say, what, what are you doing? You know, why are you acting like this? I think he got on a, a care where he just thought being mean was cool, and it's not, and it's not who he is, and he is a lovely human being. He, he really is. And I think the reporter who asked him, I think the, and the reporter who asked him, is that the one? I can't remember now. Um, explained it later, but no, I don't think that was it. It was LeBron. But it was, you know, Kevin Durant is not a mean, nasty person. I just, I don't know, I just think he got it into his head that maybe this was cool to do and people were bugging him and, and it just became uh, a, a trend. And I, I need to go up to him and say, stop trending. Stop trending that way. Stop <laughs> that way. You're, you're a good person. You know, and I just think he's getting bad advice from people. Um, I'm going to kind of change directions on you here. Uh, you... You do a very good job of going back and forth between your responsibilities in the classroom and your professional work with the entities with whom you work. And I was just curious, is what has it been like? Because uh, if I recall correctly, you had a class that's on Monday nights, and you went back to yeah. Monday night football <laughs> and did some reporting this past season. Well, no, I did it from Monday night football. Um, it was this fall. It was. Um, it's, it's actually from the baseball playoffs and from. I'll Skype in from wherever I am because, you know, you, you just can't be in every place at one time. And I told USC when I, they asked me to teach. Now I teach two classes, if you can believe that. And uh, so far I've been pretty good. But there are times when I have to go. And I have to, my first responsibility is to my real job. I mean, they don't pay you that kind of money to teach class. In fact, <laughs> an adjunct professor makes very little money. And I don't do it for the money. I do it because I like to help students get better. And it makes me really happy to see a student go out and get a job. And which is, I'm expecting that of you too. So make me happy. Um, and 
I don't know what the point. Oh, so I was, yeah, I was at Monday Night Football. I, was, I think I was in Denver. And I um, just skyped in from the press box. So I said, this is what it's like. This is what the real world was like. I'm here in the press box, and this is what it is. And showed them around the press box and showed them where <laughs> the locker rooms were. And, and it was uh, as good of an experience as it was for almost as for them as being there. So there are just different ways to teach different ways to help kids learn. I, I now teach a class that I take them to games. We went to a Lakers game last week. We went to a Clippers game a couple weeks before. We're going to go to a Dodgers game. Because nobody tells you where to go to get your credential. Where do you go before the game? Where do you eat? Where do you? When can you ask questions? Who talks when? Who does this? Nobody ever teaches you that. And I don't remember how I learned it, except they're just bumbling myself around like an idiot following the veteran from the World Herald and the Daryl Star around and just doing whatever they did and trying not to act stupid. And gradually just kind of catch along. But there's no reason that they shouldn't know this before they go into this world. I said it can be confusing. It can be intimidating. It doesn't have to be. And so that's what my class is now. I said this is where you go. This is where you get your popcorn. This is where... Here's where the restrooms are. I mean, it's just a lot of it's practical. And here's where LeBron is. And here's where he stands after the game. And if you want to get him, you have to stand right here because it's just so crowded in here. And that's practical knowledge that you just, we should be teaching to everybody. Well, not everybody, but, you know, kids who want to go into this, we should be teaching that to them. So that's what I'm trying to do. That kind of ties back to a to an earlier point that we were talking about of of your credibility and your experience within your field of if the plane were to crash outside your apartment, you know who to call, you know where to go, you kind of know how this wheel continues to turn, and you know when to get off or, or who to call. Is part of that also have forming relationships with with different people in the organizations? Uh, you know, absolutely. That's 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 the key to everything, and it's funny because my dad. He remarks about this all the time, and and I call him, and I'm something like, "You're not going to believe what happened today." I, you know, a kid I met 20 years ago who was doing this, 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 now in charge of this, 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 and this, and he's like, "You're amazing. You keep in touch with everybody." I said, "Well, I do because I don't just interview people. I mean, there are people I just interview sometimes, but there are relationships I make, and I keep their phone numbers in my used to be my Rolodex, but that would make me sound ancient, which I am." But, you know, I keep their numbers. I keep their information. Um, there's a guy I'm, I'm working with now on a story that is best friends with Trent Richardson, who hooked me up with Trent Richardson when his family took all his money. And I ended up doing a great E50 long feature on that. And we just updated it a couple weeks ago. That's why I think of it. And I'm still friends with him. And I just not that you're friends. And it's, it's not a, you know, friendly, family, familial. I don't know if I that right. But it's a professional relationship, and we just have professional courtesy. And I have that with people all over the country. I can go to about any city in this country and find somebody I know. From some school I interviewed or some family I interviewed and, um, you know, go out to dinner with them and then find something else out. Because I think too many times we hide behind emails and phone calls and we don't get out there enough. And that's what I also try to do. But... And, I, and so it is contacts and sources and people you meet. And I can't think of anything right off the hand where it's just like, oh, my God, that's amazing. But it happens all the time where you're like, oh, my God, that's amazing. I can't believe he's still there and he's still talking to me. And he knows this guy who knows that guy who knows this guy. 
And it's just the way the world works. And you, but you have to get out there and do it. You can't just call somebody on the phone. You can't just email somebody. Uh, you have to get out there and meet people. Oh, okay, here's a good one. So, Dominican Sue. All right? So, he went to Nebraska. I went to Nebraska. He and I met up after he, because we didn't go the same years. We're obviously a lot of years apart. But he was in Portland. I did an interview with him. In Portland, I met him and his mom and his sister, and we and we just became fast friends and we exchanged numbers and all this. And so, um, you know, when I had cancer, he called me and wanted to have me come to a game. And it didn't. He ended up mouthing off about the coaches in Miami. So I decided not. That would not be good. So we didn't do that. <laughs> but so I, he ends up getting traded to the Rams or signs with the Rams, and I go end up at a Rams Eagles game this fall and I see his mom and his sister and we hug and then I meet this girl who he turns out he has sponsored an engineering school at Nebraska and he has done that she was the second one is the second straight student scholar he has sponsored two engineering students paid their full four-year tuition and sponsored them to get and they got their degrees and she was there he had flown her and her family to the game because she had just graduated. It was in December. So I met her and her family, and I said, what a great story, and I send it in, and sure enough, right before the Super Bowl, they go, can you find them? And I was like, yeah, okay. So, and then we get a great story on Indomitian Sue that nobody had ever heard of, that he had done this for kids. And, it, you know, and I, I said to him on camera, is this story going to change your image? And he laughed, and he goes, no, well, no, I don't you know, but it's that kind of thing that you do. You get out and you meet people and just as as if you're fair, accurate, honest and professional, then you can hang your head high on on just about not your head, your hat high on everything just about everything you do. And that's what I'm really proud of. Uh and if I may go one step further with you, you seem to have a very sincere approach to the things on which you report. And one of those, which I think was very fairly rewarded was your story, um, about a blind USC long snapper. Yeah. Well, you know what? You need to call me every day cause you're just puffing up my ego like crazy. <laughs> that, that's Jake Olson. And we won an Emmy for the story that we spent nine years with him. And I, I got up there and at the Emmy, uh, speech, I said, oh, you know, we're really kind of sick of the kid. We've done so many stories <laughs> on him, and he just thought that was funny as heck, and, and he and I are, um, he has, you know, he has a pro day next week, and we're going to be covering that for ESPN. He is donating, he's not going to go pro, obviously, he can't see, the kid has no eyes, but he's going to bench press, and for every, and he's really built, he's really a stud now, and for every bench press, uh, people are donating money to fight retinoblastoma, which is what rendered him blind. And he says, no, there's there's cures out there now. If we raise enough money, we can keep other kids from having to go through this. And so we're going out there. So we are still friends. And we're going on a speaking circuit this next spring. And, um, you know, people say, do you ever get so close to the people you cover? And I said, well, you can. I said, but I said, Jake, if you have to get arrested, you're going down. I would be the first one out there on my <laughs> You know, screaming, you were arrested for whatever it is you did. So don't think you have a pass because you're my friend. But, um, you know, so 
yeah, he, he's a great kid. And those are the kind of stories that you live for. You really do. And, and they make your entire life better because they're stories that have value and have meaning. And sure, and I did a story on a homeless woman that was also nominated for an Emmy uh, last spring. And she's schizophrenic and, and homeless still. And I went back and saw her a couple weeks ago for no reason, just to see how she was. And she's no better. She's no different. But she's not unhappy and she's not hurting herself. So, But those are the kinds of stories. They're not all happy ending stories like Jake's, but they, they do something to you. They touch your life. And that makes you a better person, I believe. Well, um, to, to end on this podcast, because I think that's a very great note to, to kind of wind down on, I like to ask a, a couple simple questions. Uh, because sure. in, in this profession, in sports broadcasting, you see people at the highest level. You see them on TV. You hear them on radio. They're so professional. They're so fine-tuned. I like to ask a, what I like to call uh, human questions. Just remind okay. the audience. I'll these, try to answer humanly. Yeah, uh, as as human, just to kind of say, hey, these people are like us. They just have dedicated right. their life to something. Um, I already told you about my fireplace. So how <laughs> much more human can you be than that? I I, I have right. asked you uh, another question that was gave me. I I love these human responses where I asked you before um, if you know you're you're in your car by yourself. What song is playing and the volume's turned up? I don't know if you remember this. You said Roar by Katy Perry. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good I one. Down, I would have just said Living on a Prayer. I love that song, too. Living on a Prayer. That's a, those are yeah, that's th- a good one. Those are great jams. But, but I was, yeah, I was also heavily medicated when I talked to you last night. So <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but uh, the, uh, the question I, I have for you here um, is... What is one book that you've gone back and read a couple times over that you would recommend to somebody they read sometime? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I don't know. I don't like rereading things much. There's one that uh, quotes for every day, you know, inspirational quotes. And I don't know the name of it. I could look it up, but I could text it to you. But. It's, um, you know, I read that quite often, you know, because you, you, know, you need a little pick-me-up and you and it's like inspirational quotes for every day and it's just um, things that inspire you. But um, I, I read a lot of mysteries. I, I don't do a lot of serious reading. I'm just, I love to read, but I'm just not a serious reader. I don't, you know, read the things you're supposed to read. I read things that take you away from it all, like mysteries. And I love Robert Parker uh, novels. And yeah. Those are pop- I would probably read those over again, but I haven't yet so far. Text me some mystery novels, too. I'm, I'm a big mystery reader. Harlan yeah. Coben's a, oh, okay. a favorite author of mine. Yeah. I think he's a great thriller writer. But, yeah, I would, I would love to hear some choices from you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that, uh, that does it for us today on Look Who's Talking. Shelly, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you uh, being Good on. Good luck with your capsule, and I'm sorry that, you know, you're, you're – stuck with me but i'm always happy to do things for you and for any other student at nebraska or anywhere else so i appreciate appreciate your interest in me you're very kind well thank you shelly i'll let you get on with your day thank you so much